This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned VC company helping local business since 1892. Uh, we're going to have Greg Wyshynski joining us uh, in a few moments. Uh, Chris and Duncan wants an explanation on why Wish and Merrick didn't call Thatcher Demko one of the best goalies in the NHL. I didn't hear the segment, so it'll be interesting to to follow up on that. I feel like I took a lot of heat for saying that the Canucks have played better than just to pass off some of their recent wins as the goalie being the reason. Demko has been a big reason for their recent success. Probably the biggest. However, you can't diminish what the rest of the team has been doing. And I think it's pretty obvious last night, Demko didn't have the best night, and the Canucks were still able to beat the Montreal Canadiens. Same goes for that Leaf game Saturday and, to a certain extent, the Islanders last Thursday. Either way, the Canucks are super hot and uh, looking towards the playoffs. Our next guest, Greg Wyshynski, ESPN. What's happening, Wish? How's it going? Uh, In Vancouver, things are great. Uh, We're still trying to trade everybody (laughs) away, but also still trying to make the playoffs. I don't know. Everybody in Vancouver, every Canucks fan is of two minds right now. Do we sell? Do we go for the playoffs? I don't know what to think anymore. You go for the playoffs, baby. Look, there's, <laughs> there's only one reason why Bruce Boudreaux gets hired as your coach, and it ain't to start selling at the deadline. Yeah. So we all knew that this was going to be a fun ride. I don't know where it ends, but it certainly shouldn't be one where uh, we start throwing people out of the car on the way <laughs> on, the, on the journey here. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, I, I was talking to somebody earlier today about the JT Miller stuff, and I, I think you have to do due diligence on a player like JT Miller, but ultimately. That whole thing to me the entire time felt very much like a lot of GMs around the league being like, I'd love to get JT Miller and then it getting reported as trade rumor. You know what I mean? So like, I, I feel like, I feel like you, you, you keep your cards on this one. That's uh, uh, that's how I'm feeling about it, especially with the way the Pacific division is breaking down these days. Well, I mean, he's been uh, a star all season long, uh, you know, from when Boudreaux came in, he's the uh, sixth best scorer in the national hockey league. So uh, it's, it's kind of hard to move off a player like that. I mean, uh, you know, even just to think about what the offer would have to be to even make Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford think about it. Uh, it just it, it seems ludicrous. It doesn't even seem possible at this point with how how good JT Miller has played. I mean, we've just seen a player go from you know kind of star player into you know having a superstar season, and maybe this is his only one, but he's a superstar right now. Yeah, and I think you know again, like he's a coveted player. Uh, he, he's somebody throughout his career that's had the ability to play in a variety of different roles. He obviously plays multiple forward positions. Um, he, he's someone whose north-south game is something that GMs obviously feel like their teams could use in the playoffs. Uh, you know, you hear the, the, the term an honest game. I think, I think Miller plays that. So um, it's no secret that he's the type of player that would be coveted. But at the end of the day, like when you're looking at this roster, no matter what happens this season, you have to start if you're, if you're Alvin and, and Rutherford to kind of, 
comprehend what's part of the solution and what's mm-hmm. part of the problem. And by no means is, is JT Miller ever part of the problem. You know, like I, I don't think that this team is, is ripe for some sort of massive reconstruction. And so as you push forward and, and, and you already obviously see it with this playoffs playoff push, he's someone you keep around. Well, it's, it, it's just such a tough spot. Um, that the new management group finds themselves in, they, they basically have enough cap space to to bring this group back, right? And and you kind of know, as good as this recent run has been, you kind of know that this isn't quite good enough. So you're going to have to make some moves, and that's probably why one of the bigger pieces gets moved, but it doesn't have to happen until until the summer. Now, uh, our listeners here are, are kind of calling you out, Wish, Um I didn't hear it, but apparently you and Merrick had a conversation about the top goalies in the league, and Thatcher <laughs> Demko was not mentioned. So I got to call you on this before before we move on. Well, the, the the debate was about elite goalies, and in in fairness, I leave it up to the Canadian to remember to mention <laughs> Canucks goalies, and he clearly dropped the ball, you know, in not mentioning Demko. Um, but you know, it, it's an it was an interesting conversation in the and in, in the context of it was. When you think about Igor Shcherbin, and you think about the Vesna, you think about the heart, you know, is he in that tier of elite goaltenders in this league? I I think you could put him there right now, but then if you put him there, how many other guys are there with him? And Halibuck to me is still there from the Jets. Uh, obviously, Vasilevsky is there from from the Lightning. Uh, people were saying UC Soros from the Predators. There's probably a good case to be made. Uh, assuming, you know, who knows what, what the situation with Carey Price is going forward. And then you have that tier that's just below it. And, I mean, I think I'd put Demko in that tier right now with the notion that he could easily level up to that elite tier in short order. But, yeah, we didn't mention him. I put that on Merrick. He's the guy <laughs> driving, the, driving the boat here. Uh, but uh, I'm a big Thatcher Demko fan, and I'm, I was, I'm really happy to see uh, his season going in the direction that it is. I, I, I would say, you know, like if, if it's, if it's a short list of elite goalies of Shesterkin, Hellebuck and, uh, Vasilevsky and, and, and you kept that top tier at, at that, then, then I'd be okay with it. But if you're putting UC Saros in that tier, then, then I think Thatcher Demko should be there. Probably in there too. And then, and then the other guy too is Markstrom and, and yeah. Markstrom's an interesting one because obviously he had the success that he had in that season with Vancouver that got him the contract in Calgary. And now, you know, the people looking at his, at the year he's having this year, are like, all right, is that a product of the Daryl Sutter system or not? And I think anybody that watched him in that season where he was, I mean, he was the defense. Yeah. <laughs> that season, I think knows what kind of goalie he is. So I think he's probably up in that elite tier as well. But, but you're right. I mean, like, again, Soros, Demko, there's a few others that are in that conversation for that next year. Freddie Anderson, I think, is probably there, too. Um, you know, there's some people that say Tristan Jari should be there. I think the playoffs will tell us whether or not that's the case. The one that was the debate point for us was John Gibson of the mm-hmm. Anaheim Ducks. I, I, I truly believe that John Gibson is in that tier with uh, Darcy Kemper, where they were so good with some really bad teams that that reputation has stuck and even though they haven't necessarily been as good since then, they're still seen as, as maybe outkicking their coverage. Uh, and, and, and so I think, I think John Gibson, due respect to a talented goalie, is one of those guys that right now is, is thriving on reputation more than anything else. 
Yeah, I, I would agree uh, on that, except when he plays the Vancouver Canucks. He just uh, <laughs> invokes the inner Patrick Waugh in him uh, to uh, to all of a sudden uh, be the best goalie in, on planet Earth. Um, you know, y- you mentioned you know, the, the playoff picture in the Pacific Division. Now, th- that's really where the Canucks' hope kind of lies right now. And even looking at the, the out-of-town scoreboard right now, the Vegas Golden Knights are trailing the Buffalo Sabres in Jack Eichel's return to Buffalo, it's kind of funny. Peyton Krebs has the one goal in that game right now, too. But that's kind of the team, at least right now, third place in the Pacific that the Canucks are chasing. And as much as we think of the talent on that roster, they don't look like they've been playing up to it for quite a while now. That's that's the team the Canucks are trying to catch, in my eyes. Right. And and so now you have the injury to Robin Lehner. Um you know, who hasn't been himself necessarily all season. I think he's been inconsistent. Um, and so you have that question mark for them. Look, this is this is a really good team, but I think the thing that we know about the Vegas Golden Knights is that they're a much different team when Mark Stone is in that lineup and when he's out of that lineup. And, you know, him coming out enabled them to bring in Jack Eichel, and Eichel's going to be fine. I mean, he's still... I was just talking to somebody today about Eichel's game that, that has seen him play uh, this season a lot, and, and it's clear that he's, he's been good, but he's still getting his sea legs under him after having been off the ice for as long as, he, as he's been. Um, but you take Mark Stone out of that lineup, and, and you're taking effectively the most valuable player in that lineup out, and it changes a lot. It changes the dynamic of that team. It changes them what they do defensively at 5-on-5. Five five. It changes you know, the amount of guys that can score a big goal when they need it. And um, and I, I still can't conceive of them missing the playoffs. But, I mean, playing the percentages and, and seeing how they've been recently, it's not out of the realm of possibility. And the bottom line, like you said, for Vancouver or for, for Edmonton or for anybody else that's in the chase right now, looking for that, that third seed or that second seed if, if, if something happens to L.A., is you don't want to be on the wild card bubble. You don't want to have to throw your lot in with those central division teams that are going to be vying for those two wild card spots. You definitely want to have your site set on third place in the Pacific. I think it's going to be an easier spot to secure than trying to figure out the math with those central division teams. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers. <laughs> I, I, I know we all make fun of Freed for always saying that uh, it's not an option for the Edmonton Oilers to miss the playoffs, but it's uh, it, it's a strange spot that they find themselves in, obviously. Um what do you think Ken Holland does ahead of the deadline to try and get this team over the hump? Pray that pray that his team plays three on three every night. That's pretty good <laughs> when they get there. No kidding. <laughs> maybe yeah, that's the plan. Maybe maybe you just you just play trap hockey until you can get to the three on three and then Leon and then let Leon and Connor go crazy. Um, I don't know, man. It's it's a conundrum. Um, I, I, I go back to the same thing that I've said about other teams that are facing goaltending issues, and obviously Edmonton isn't the only one, is where were you in the offseason? You had like 16 guys available on a carousel of goaltenders, and then what they landed on was running back Kostinen and bringing back Mike Smith. And, and so now you're in a situation where if you are looking to improve that position on the team, and I've heard varying uh, reports at Edmonton as to whether or not they're going to make a move for a goalie to sure up that position, uh, you know, you, you simply don't have the buffet that you had in the off season. I mean, you're going to end up overpaying for, you know, Jonas Corposalo or something like that. So that's one issue with the team is that their timing stinks. But but more than that, I mean, you know, you just you just wonder whether or not overall, you know, we could say 
it's it's uh, playoffs or bust for this team. But I mean, that's putting a lot on the, on, a, on a roster that may not necessarily be playoff quality. And then you have to go back to the drawing board again. And if going back to the drawing board means making another change at the top, well, now all of a sudden, as we as we focus on Jack Eichel night in Buffalo and talk about the contract that he signed mm-hmm. and how many rebuilds he had to go through in Buffalo before finally being like, I can't do it do this anymore. Well, then how many changes of course and changes of direction will Connor and Leon have to go through if they miss the playoffs and all of a sudden there's another change behind the scenes? And, you know, I know we talk about Nathan McKinnon often as uh, the best contract in the league, but Leon Dreisaitl, I mean... <laughs> Geez, you have a every year Hart Trophy candidate at eight and a half million per. I mean, that's that's not so bad, and they just haven't been able to figure it out around those guys. Obviously, um, speaking of bad GM decisions, um, <laughs> Rasmus Ristolainen. Uh, I know he's long been uh, a, a topic of conversation, and how good is he? Uh, kind of the old eye test versus analytics debate that we constantly seem to have. But I think what happened with Chuck Fletcher and and the Philadelphia Flyers today is regardless of, of the player, it just hasn't seemed like a fit all year long. It seemed like an exorbitant price to play, to pay for Rasmus Ristolainen last year. And now instead of maybe cutting your losses and, and getting out of this mistake, they've decided to to double down on it. And I find now that's, that's kind of the Cardinal rule as a, as a GM, like, okay, you're going to make mistakes. I get that. It's, Knowing how to get out of your mistakes can be one of the best, better assets of a general manager. And I, I feel like Philadelphia, if anything, they doubled down on their problem today. Yeah, but that's the scary thing is that I don't think they see it as a mistake. I mean, that's why they did it. <laughs> like yeah. they, I think they see him as, as being, uh, you know, the physical defensive defenseman that, that that group back there needs. And the problem is, is that when your calling card is defense and you don't play it all that well, then what are you doing, right? So, I mean, that's that's kind of been the knock on him is that the role that he's cast that he's not even really good at. Um, but I, you brought up a very interesting point about the amount of uh, assets that were traded uh, to acquire him. And it wouldn't shock me if, if cost of acquisition is part of the math here of like, all right, we, we gave up something to get him. Our intention the entire time was not to let him walk. It was to acquire a player that we were going to, going to extend and so it wasn't necessarily like, here's an audition that he failed. It was always going to be a situation of them acquiring a player that they were going to keep around beyond uh, his UFA, uh, you know, escape, uh, uh, you know, period. So, like, they kind of like him, I think. And, and so we'll see going for- forward if, if, it, if it's a, a bet that uh, Chuck Fletcher wins. I know a lot of people out there don't think it's going to be. Final thing before we let you go, Wish, uh, the Washington Capitals roll into town tomorrow night and, Alex Ovechkin is uh, set to be the third best goal scorer in NHL history. One more goal will officially move him beyond uh, Yarmer Yager. And it's quite the conversation. This is a player we've uh, celebrated for a long time and uh, enjoyed the conversation about him chasing down uh, Gretzky and the goal record. But obviously that conversation has has changed. Um how should we feel about Alex Ovechkin right now? And where should the conversation be around Alex Ovechkin as he reaches yet another milestone? We should feel bummed. I mean, because like his support for Vladimir Putin um, through the years, and this tracks back to 2014 with Crimea. And then it, it goes to the, you know, Putin team 
campaigning that he did for Vladimir Putin later in his career. Um, it's all subtext now to what should be a really celebratory moment for, for those of us who, who really love Ovechkin as a player. I mean, passing Yamir Yager on the all-time goals list for third overall with only Howe and Gretzky ahead of him is a moment that a lot of us for years have been waiting for, you know, to now uh, be closing in this much on the Gretzky record. And, and it's happening at a time where you can't separate the politics and the player. You can't separate the man off the ice from the man on the ice because of what's happening in Ukraine. And the bottom line for me is that watching Ovechkin's press conference a few, a few weeks ago, where he's, he's asking for peace and, and a lot of people were upset about, uh, him not taking a stand against Putin. I mean, there's little evidence that we've seen that he would. There's little evidence that we've seen that he is actually against what's happening right now in Ukraine. And that's kind of the the worst part about this, is that you had someone who clearly fancies Putin and, and his campaign for him. And, and sort of there's a lot of projection going on from a lot of people saying Ovechkin should do the right thing. But there's few of us that actually know what he what he really believes. And so the obfuscation of his feelings, the trying to separate politics from hockey, he's done it for many years in Washington uh, with his support of Vladimir Putin. And now I think it's, it's really kind of been an anchor uh, on what should be otherwise a celebratory moment for, for Ovechkin and his fans. Well said. Uh, Wish, always appreciate the time. Thanks for this. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Uh, there is Greg Wyshynski here on uh, Canuck Central. Bruce Boudreaux made a comment today, and uh, he's pretty much convinced Ovi's going to score goal number six, 767 tomorrow. I have um, now I've long said Alex Ovechkin is the greatest goal scorer that this league has ever seen. I've long loved watching Alex Ovechkin banging goals for fun, almost at a rate you would not even think possible in the modern era of the National Hockey League. And yet he's done it every single year. And he's done it again this year. 36 goals in 57 games. Hasn't had a year in the NHL, at least a full season, where he's been below 30 goals. It is remarkable what he's been able to do as a player. And I think Wish is right in that it's very difficult to separate his accomplishments as a hockey player versus the political side of things and how he has had unwavered support for Vladimir Putin. And that's what makes tomorrow night a very interesting spot. I expect to hear some boos, much like we heard them through the Alberta games, rain down on Ovechkin. I expect it to be no different here. And I expect it to be a storyline until there is more clarity on it and where it goes. Uh, we're going to talk more about the Washington Capitals coming up after 5.30 here today. Uh, J.J. Regan of NBC Sports Washington will join us. So... I kind of think of the Canucks playoff chase right now as something that has developed into this kind of like fun 
hilarious moment where it's like, hey, yeah, like the playoffs are still a thing, but, you know, it's it's not going to happen. But with each passing win, it's getting more and more plausible that they make this push. And I don't want to make this about the trade deadline and what the Canucks do from now until then. I said it off the top of the show, hour one of the podcast. You could check it out there. There's no way you trade JT Miller right now. And I think the way that they're going, given that there's no immediate decisions that have to be made on any of their core pieces, you don't trade any of those guys. You'll have a real decision to make with Mott. But if your chase for the playoffs depends on Tyler Mott, well, that should tell you the story about how this team needs to make some adjustments. My point here is the wild part of this story that I truly did not expect beyond the Canucks playing as well as they have to get to this point in the season is that the Vegas Golden Knights are now the team to catch. And it's freaking obvious that the Vegas Golden Knights are the team you are trying to catch. So yes, tonight you are a Buffalo Sabres fan as they lead the Vegas Golden Knights right now. But those central teams are not exactly catchable. Like, the Dallas Stars are still around a 600 points percentage for the year. The Nashville Predators, over that, still with a couple of games in hand on the Vancouver Canucks. You are level on games and just four points back of the Knights. They're up. Like, you're two games behind. If we're thinking about it in baseball terms, since baseball figured out their CBA situation today, they are two games back of the Vegas Golden Knights right now. And it's obviously that team that the Canucks are trying to catch. They lose Robin Leonard, better chance now that the Canucks continue to make that push. They are gunning for a top three spot in the Pacific, and I think it's pretty obvious. Producer Josh Elliott Wolf, what do you think? And they play Vegas three more times yep. down the stretch. And, like, look, I, I know Faber talked about it earlier. The ease of schedule for Vegas is is near the top or at the top of the NHL. And Isn't Buffalo um, an easy game? Sure, yeah. And if they, yeah, if they end up losing this game and they lose a few more games that qualify as yeah. the easy games, then maybe it's a bit more of a realistic conversation. But, yeah, it is – when you look at the wild card, it does seem much more insurmountable just because of games in hand and Dallas is Dallas is on more of a streak than Vegas and Edmonton. I think Edmonton's starting to they they figured it out for a few games there and now they're kind of going back to where they were yeah. uh, about a month ago, but the the Canucks control their own destiny to an extent now because of those games that they play against Vegas, but yeah. They're still going to need a lot of help from some really not good hockey teams. The reality is Canucks still have to play at a high level. And they still have to get results at a really high level. 
and a really good rate. Like, again, I think right now, where the playoff bar ends up, a 625 points percentage is the minimum for Canucks to get into the playoffs. 94 points. That's 30 points through their final 24 games. So essentially three wins above 500 for your final 24. It doesn't seem like that tall of a task, but it really is. There's going to be a lot of games. There's going to be back-to-backs. It's not an easy schedule, but it is doable. And that is the defining factor. Now, the one thing about Dallas, losing Miro Haskinen today, I don't know how long it's going to be. He's got mono. Um, That is a crushing blow. Like, that would be the Canucks essentially losing Quinn Hughes for a month. Could the Canucks last a month without Quinn Hughes? No. Probably not. They barely lasted three games without Quinn Hughes. Could they last a month? I'm not sure. They do, they do have Klingberg, yeah, and and that helps ease it a little. Who bit. they may trade, yeah. If they look, if they trade Klingberg, all bets are off. Maybe you can get into the wild card because <laughs> then they they have no defense, yeah. But yeah, just, I don't know. It, it, I still think Dallas just based they got to play five hundred, yeah, to get to ninety three points. So mm-hmm. it, it's just it, it seems like an easy road for them and. Who knows? Maybe Haskinen gets put on LTIR and they're able to fill that spot as well. <laughs> uh, who knows with the wild and wacky world of the National Hockey League. Uh, the Washington Capitals are in town tomorrow night. Uh, let's uh, bring in our next guest for the next conversation. J.J. Regan of NBC Sports Washington joins us next on Canuck Central. Canuck Central this hour brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. Uh, J.J. Regan of NBC Sports Washington going to join us as the uh, Canucks get ready for the Washington Capitals tomorrow night. Alex Ovechkin on the uh, road to 767. And to become the third highest goal scorer in NHL history. He is tied right now with Yarmer Yager. Gordy Howe is at 801. Ovi doesn't likely get there this year. And then uh, and you've got Wayne Gretzky at 894. It's crazy to think he's 130 goals away from Wayne Gretzky. Greatest goal scorer I've ever seen. Pavel Bure's on that list, of course. We know that here in Vancouver. Who knows what uh, happens if Bure doesn't uh, have his knees go on him, but you look at his goal scoring rates, pretty good for Pavel Bure, but uh, Ovechkin may end up being the top when it's all said and done. Let's bring in our next guest, J.J. Regan of NBC Sports Washington. Thanks for this, J.J. How are you? 
Good. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're uh, we're doing pretty well, man. Uh, it's uh, it's been a wild ride. The uh, Vancouver Canucks are uh, <laughs> really on fire right now and trying to. Uh, catch up in the Western Conference playoff race. Uh, as for the Washington Capitals, it was uh, a wild one last night against the Edmonton Oilers, end up falling in, in overtime. H- how is this team going right now? And it seemed like they got off to a hot start, but haven't really been able to find that ever since. They Yeah, they were great through until about the start of the new year. And then since 2022 started, it's been a real grind for this team. They've really struggled. Uh, I believe they just got the 500 for the calendar year last week. Uh, it looks like they've turned things around. Uh, they've won three of their last four, and the one loss was last night in Edmonton, and they still managed to get a point. So it looks like they've started to turn things around a little bit. They're starting to get a little bit healthy. Nicholas Backstrom's in the lineup. TJ Oshie's in the lineup. Anthony Mantha's in the lineup. So it looks like things are starting to turn around. But it's definitely been a grind for this team since the start of uh, 2022. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, it's it's kind of an interesting. And it it feels like a lot of it does come down to – um, maybe a lack of confidence in, in their goaltending. Um, is, is is that about right? Are they kind of just one of those teams that uh, can't overcome a bad goal every once in a while? Yeah, so, you know, the way things start, I think if looking at how this team has played and all the injuries that they have dealt with, I think their start was more surprising than what happened, than what has happened since. Mm-hmm. Just the way that they were, I mean, they... At, when they woke up on New Year's Day, they were tied for the most points in the NHL. Uh, that was shocking to me, how well they were playing to that point. Um, and then the injuries began to, to to catch up with them. So I think that had more to do with the goaltending. But if you're going to handicap this team and say what their biggest weakness is, I think it is their goaltending for sure. Uh, Ilya Samsonov it has elite talent elite skill, elite athleticism, but he is just an inconsistent goalie. You do not know what you are going to get from him on any given night. Uh, he he plays a very frantic style in net, which is fine. You know, so did Dominic Hajic. It's just that he's very inconsistent. And you know, I thought he was very good against Edmonton last night. But that doesn't mean the next time you see him, he won't let in three goals on four shots because we've seen that from him this year too. Vitek Vanacek has outplayed him. He is the number one goalie for this team right now. Uh, he has earned that, but I think there is a ceiling with him. Uh, he just does not have all the tools that Samsonov has. And so I just I look at this team and I think that a team that has Vitek Vanacek as its number one heading into the playoffs I, I, I have a hard time seeing that team as a true contender, and really it's it's Stanley Cup or bust for this team because of their age. So, yes, I think goaltending is a major, major question mark for this team right now. What What is it they're looking for uh, as we, you know, we're, what, 10 days away from uh, the trade deadline now? Uh, any move the Capitals have to make is uh, kind of dollar in, dollar out. They don't have any cap space. What do you think they are trying to add uh, before the March 21st deadline? So we talked to Brian McClone about this about uh, one or two weeks ago, and this was right before they turned things around and started winning again. And his attitude was that he wasn't going to look to do anything that wasn't a significant upgrade. Uh, that includes in net, so with a significant upgrade 
include a guy like Marc Andre Fleury? I think it would. But I also I think this team is not going to just start throwing draft picks and prospects at players who just to add depth or just because the guy's on the market and they're looking for to bolster the team for a cup run. I think they're going to take a realistic approach to it. I think they might be a bit more aggressive than McClellan, than McClellan let on because they've started to win again, and so maybe they could do something. But in terms of what their targets would be, I think goaltending would be their number one priority, and after that it would be depth offense because the only person who can seem to score consistently on this team right now is Alex Ovechkin. Uh, that's turned around a bit with some of the players that they've gotten back. I think this is a much deeper offensive team than it looked like, you know, three weeks ago. But that would be the two targets for me. It's just that it has to be a clear upgrade. He's not just, like I said, he's just not going to throw future assets at something just because. Um, and as you mentioned, dollar in, dollar, dollar out, the the one player who I think would be on the trade block right now would be Daniel Sprong. He's a younger player who can be productive, but he's had a hard time staying in the lineup. So I, I think he would be the, the guy, main guy going in the other direction. Uh, the one player that you, you mentioned, they've gotten some guys back. Uh, Anthony Mantha was a big deadline acquisition last year. Had a goal in Calgary, an assist last night in Edmonton. Um, how, how's he looked since coming back? I think he's looked pretty good. Uh, he's looked like a dangerous player. He he's, seems to be in on a lot of chances. It's just with him, you've got to start to see some of the production. Now, the one thing that that came with his return was that the lines made sense again. It, he clear, He's a clear fit into the second line. Uh, it bolsters the offense. It allows the team to move a guy like Connor Sherry into the bottom six, who – and, you know, Connor Sherry's had a great season for the Cavs this year, but on a team that pictures itself as a contender, Connor Sherry is a bottom six player. If he's in your top six, then you're probably not deep enough. So the lines make sense again. The trickle-down effect of, of Manthony returning is a definite benefit for this team. In terms of Manthony, Mantha himself, uh, he's looked good, but we got to see some production. It's good that he, he's gotten a goal and an assist, but – if you remember when the Capitals acquired him last year, he scored one goal in his first four games with the Caps. So, you know, he, he had four goals out in his first four games and then didn't score again through the playoffs. And I thought he looked pretty good through that time. I thought he was playing pretty well. And then at the start of the season this year, it looked like he was playing well again and it just wasn't he just wasn't producing. So at some point, you have to get the points to back it up. You can't just be playing well, playing well, playing well, but then no points. Uh, so it, I think it's definitely a good sign that we've seen a goal and assist from him so far because he's going to have to be a big part of the offense going down the stretch. You kind of touched on this earlier, J.J., but, uh, you know, milestones coming for uh, Ovechkin and, and Backstrom. And, hey, big career milestones kind of mean you're you're getting up there in age a little bit. It does feel like uh, the, the Washington Capitals that we've seen be a contender in the Eastern Conference for so long. It's it's like every year is, could this be the last of the dominant Washington Capitals? Yeah, that's the question that this team has asked itself every year for years. I mean, uh, before they won the Stanley Cup, Brian McClellan put a two-year window on it they said we we're going to we think we can contend for the next 2 years. Those 2 years ended and then the year after that they won the cup. 
So that's how long we've been asking ourselves this question here of, is this year, the year, is, this, uh, is it over now? Are they still in this now? I think we're at a point now, their players are older. Ovechkin is 36, Backstrom is 34, Oshie is 34. You know, these guys are getting up there in age. We're starting to see, you know, Backstrom had an injury from last season that kept him out until December. T.J. Oshie has struggled to stay in the lineup this year. I mean, it, as well as they play on the ice, it's clear that physically you're starting to see the signs of aging here. So I think this is the closest that they've come to that window being closed. And that's why I think it, Brian McClellan may be a little bit more aggressive at the trade deadline than he let on because really – I think you have to approach each each season like it's the last. I think, in my personal view, I think this is probably their last chance. I I have a hard time believing that they're going to be anything close to being a contender after this year. Uh, So, you know, if there's a goalie out there, I think he's going to get it because you have no choice. You have Alex Ovechkin still scoring like a madman, still one of the top offensive players in the league. Clearly, even at the age of 36, you can't waste that because this might be the last year for it. So, I, you know, we've been asking ourselves that question a lot. Do I still think they're a contender? I, I'm, you know, I'm hesitant to say no because of how good they were at the start of the season. And now that they're getting healthy, can they get it back? Maybe, but... You know, I have, it's going to be hard for any wild card team, and that's probably where they're going to end up. It's going to be hard for any wild card team in the East to have any success, given how top heavy this conference is right now. JJ, we uh, we really appreciate your time. Thanks for this today. Hey, anytime. Uh, there is uh, JJ Regan of NBC Sports Washington. The Capitals are very much in that spot that you wonder how much longer can it last? You know, for so many years, we we looked at the Capitals and like, is it going to happen? Should they move Alex Ovechkin? Remember those crazy takes? The Capitals can't win with Alex Ovechkin. He doesn't play well enough defensively for this team to get it done in the playoffs. And I always thought, look at Ovechkin's playoff numbers. He is the furthest thing from what is wrong with the Capitals when it comes to springtime. It was mainly that Sidney Crosby was on the other side, and it was kind of tough to get past him. But they eventually did and got their cup. Now the Capitals kind of feel like the Detroit Red Wings of the early 2010s. Where it's like, we're going to be a playoff team pretty much every year. But what does that mean? Does that mean we are a true Stanley Cup contender? Or does it just mean we're a playoff team? Think about the Red Wings. Through the 2010s, they kept their playoff streak alive for, what, 25 years? But there was a good stretch, you know, after they made the Cup Final in 09, where they were just a playoff team, but they weren't a real contender. And everybody knew it. That's why Babcock eventually left, and now Detroit finally 
after missing the playoffs, went into their rebuild. But that playoff record was incredible. You can't imagine what, you know, being a consistent playoff team for 25 years, how difficult that is. It's a quarter century. How many players come through? They went through the Russian five. And even through all those years of contention and the end of the Steve Eiserman, Sergei Fedorov era, they found a new group. Still led by Lidstrom. But of course, Datsuk and Zetterberg came through. Two incredible players that they found late in the draft. Just doesn't happen all that often. But it does feel like Washington is in that spot now. Where they're a playoff team pretty much with a bullet every single year. They're good enough to get there because of Ovi, because of the core that they have. But are they going to be a real threat in the Eastern Conference? Like, of all the teams in the Eastern Conference, are the Capitals not the team you would want to play? You don't think... Florida, Tampa, Toronto, Boston would prefer to play the Washington Capitals than any of their divisional rivals? You don't think the Carolina Hurricanes would rather play the Washington Capitals than, say, the Boston Bruins? Nobody wants to play the Rangers and Igor Shosturkin in the first round of the playoffs. But that's why Washington's kind of fascinating going into the deadline. What do they do? I think what's an interesting storyline to watch as we get closer to the deadline, basically no contender outside of the New York Rangers has cap space. The Nashville Predators do, but I don't think the Preds, given what they thought coming here about themselves, they're kind of just like, Hey, we're happy to be here. You know, this is cool. This is fun. But we're not buyers. If anything, they maybe sell Philip Forsberg before March 21st and some of their unrestricted free agents. But one interesting story to watch is how many three team trades do we see where. X player goes to Arizona, they retain 50%, and then X player ends up with the contender that so desires that player. That's going to be something to watch. Though Arizona, I don't think, can retain, given they're already retaining on OEL and one other contract. But the point remains. That's going to be a storyline for the Eastern Conference. A lot of um, reaction on the Dunbar-Lumber text line to Alex Ovechkin. And I know Ovi is in a difficult situation. His family is still in Russia. So there are some real factors there that play into how he is navigating the situation. 
I think the greater point here is just how big of a supporter and a right-hand man, essentially, well, that's maybe going too far, but how big of a supporter Ovi has been to Putin. And he's not the only one. There are a lot of Russian hockey alumni that have been Supporters of Vladimir Putin and everything he represents. So Ovi is not on an island of his own. It's not uncommon to see that. But how do you separate the very real um, want to congratulate an unbelievable achievement from an from a from an athlete perspective versus that political side of it and it's a very difficult conversation we are getting reaction on both ends of it and i totally understand because Ovi at 767, these are numbers we did not think were possible in the NHL today. It's like Joe DiMaggio and, sorry, Joe DiMaggio, and his 56-game hit streak. Impossible to see somebody reach that kind of a hit streak in Major League Baseball these days. How many of Gretzky's records have we thought were uncatchable, unattainable. Basically all of them. And yet here is Ovi very much on track to catch Gretzky by the end of this contract. I know what the uh, reaction was in Alberta. Alex Ovechkin basically booed every time he touched the puck. I wonder what it will be like tomorrow in Vancouver. And I do know... As Bruce Boudreaux mentioned today, he's convinced Ovi is going to score 767. And it'll be another milestone hit against the Vancouver Canucks. Much like when Gretzky passed Howe while he was with the LA Kings. Who was it against? Your Vancouver Canucks. Not quite the same. This would be Ovi passing Yarmer Yager officially. Still in a Incredible achievement, nonetheless, for Ovi as a hockey player. But I do think the conversation around him politically has mostly been on point. It's Dan Riccio, Canucks and Capitals tomorrow. Coming up after 6 o'clock, John Garrett's going to join us, the color man of your Vancouver Canucks. I want to get his take on uh, the wrestling belt going around the Canucks locker room. If he still enjoys ketchup on pizza and the Canucks playoff chase. Who is the team to catch? We'll hear from Cheech next on Sportsnet 650. Final hour of Canuck Central. Dan Riccio 
with you. Satyar Shah getting a maintenance day. I got a maintenance day last week, so Sat gets a maintenance day today. I feel like maintenance day should be like a regular thing for everybody, not just like athletes. You know? Like Sat's taken one today. And it's well earned. I mean, he he works basically he works every single post game show. I at least get some post game shows off. Lucky enough. Bick will fill in. Others will do the post game show. But still do a lot of them. And it's tiring, to be quite honest. Not that our job is hard or anything. And I'm pretty grateful for that. Not going to lie. But wouldn't it be awesome? Like, I I don't know. I haven't really had a real job in a long time. Um, But can you go to your place of work or call your boss and just say, hey, I'm going to take a maintenance day tomorrow. Can you do that? I'm genuinely curious. I mean, I think most people are genuinely hard workers. But could you take a maintenance day? And just, let's say you're at the office one day. Hey boss, Thursday, I'm taking a maintenance day. Or do you have to fake sick? I I feel like we've gotten past that point. In 2022. Now, not everybody has that privilege. I understand. Maybe your hourly wage, you know, it's different. Every day you work is how much money you're making. But there should be maintenance days for those that are working full time on salary and whatever. And heck, even if you are. I know, um, you know, BC's got this new thing where everybody gets five sick days or whatever. But do you have to say you're sick? Can you just say, I need a maintenance day? I just, I need a day outside of the weekend. I just need an extra day. I got things I got to do, and I don't want to have to worry about doing them around work. That's why it's so important the province gave us the sick days. Great point from Silver and Black Canuck. Uh, we could take days off as a longshoreman. That's great. Um, as the boss of where I work, I actually encourage my staff to do this once in a while if it's mental health related. That's great to hear. Um, let's bring in our next guest. It's John Garrett, color analyst. Um, of the Vancouver Canucks on Sportsnet. Uh, what's up, Cheech? How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, we all need a maintenance day every now and then. See, that's what I'm saying. Like, Sat took a maintenance day today. And, heck, he, he works harder than anybody I know. Satnet 650, right? That uh, is. <laughs> it's the Sat Network. We all know that. But, he like. All the time. Uh, I, I feel like maintenance day. Sh- doing it, and, and speaking of Sat. Stats. Can you imagine doing as many stats as Sat does, and, and the hours that you must put in to learn all those analytics? And oh man, he, he just works too hard. 
Uh, I, I'm going to let you in on a little secret, Cheech. And Dan, you and I both have the the good diet for <laughs> and Sat. Look at Sat. I mean, he, he needs a couple of donuts. And and you and I, you've got a little extra there. Yeah. You, you, the days of maintenance, you, you can hibernate for a day or two, and you still got lots stored up. You don't need that day of maintenance. Uh, I I I've been telling Sad about some of the great places to visit in the city, and like he doesn't even know about any of them. Like he's never been to Lee's Donuts. I'm like, how have you never been to Lee's Donuts on Granville Island? Unbelievable. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm sure I've been there. I've yeah. been to Granville Island quite a bit. I'm sure I've been to Lee's Donuts. Um, I was going to say, though, like the one secret is Sat gets all of his stats from me, you know. Yeah. Oh, does he? Really? Yep. It's a true story. It's a true oh, story. man. Man. <laughs> you know what? I read an article on that the other day. And uh, oh, who was it by? Oh, uh, Chris Carrion. You know Chris Carrion yep. from Philadelphia. He did a, a survey on analytics with uh, three coaches. And he he let them re- remain anonymous, but two of them had won Stanley Cups. And uh, their feelings on analytics and how they use them. And it, it was really enlightening. It, it was a good read. And if you get a chance to read it, you can go to Chris Terrian and uh, just Google him on Twitter or whatever. And, uh, and it's the eye test. And most of the coaches feel that, and I'm sure Bruce Boudreau, I'm, uh, I'm sure he uses analytics, but... He'd be an eye test guy, yeah, for sure. And it, it's just to support when you're doing video and you're doing uh, teaching lessons, and if you've got the analytics to back up your eyes, then you use the analytics. But if a, you think a guy is having a good game and all of a sudden he's minus two and his possession times down, and and uh, but if you think he's had a good game, he's made two or three key plays in the game. I'm sure the coach feels okay. The eye test is going against the analytics and. I'm going with what I saw. I always found it kind of interesting uh, because it's like, okay, we've got a fancy new word, Corsi, but it's really just shots, you know, and we've always looked at the shot clock and, and, and had it as an indicator of who, you know, carried the play for, for most of the night. Right. It's just Corsi takes in all shot attempts, even the ones that don't hit the net or aren't stopped by the goalie. And And even now, you know, expected goals, it's just, it's a fancy word for who's generating more chances, and essentially, if you're generating more uh, top end scoring opportunities than than your opponent, but uh, people yeah. just get fixated on the actual words of it all. Well, that's it. And how did you think Sam Montembeau played last night? Like uh, to me, okay, uh, he was good. And you do a highlight pack, and and you can look at some of the saves he made were incredible. The one save on Brock Besser, where he stuck out the leg at the last minute, and. Uh, but then he lets in uh, the JT Miller goal. Yeah. And it, it's when you make the saves. And uh, the eye test to me on Sam's game was, okay, he was, he was good. And he made the big saves when it wasn't at the key time. The team's tied. You're five minutes into the third period. Your veteran defenseman costs it up. And you can't make that save on a 30-footer. And to me, that was okay, my eye test is Sam Montembeau is Sam Montembeau. He, he was picked up on waivers. He's been around a while. and uh, They don't have Carey Price. They don't have Jake Allen. They brought in Andrew Hammond because they didn't trust Sam Montembeau. And now Sam has to play the bulk of the games 
and he the Winnipeg game he let in seven, and then he played a good game the next game in Edmonton, and then last night, ordinary and didn't make the save when he had to. It's so true, and you know that the, the Miller goal, like it's a good shot, but you know, you'd hope your goalie has that one to to bail out your defenseman. And even the Pedersen goal, I know he's he's kind of deceptive in how he takes the shot, and he's got a good shot, but you know maybe we're just accustomed to it because Demko makes all of these saves most of the I know, time, I right? And, and I know well, and and to me, like the the situation and the goalies always read the situation and. Uh, the Patterson goal, well, J.T. Miller, he's by himself. You know he's going to shoot, so you get out there and get ready. And the same with Elias Patterson. He's on the rush. He goes through the fence. He goes wide. He's a left-hand shot down the left side. So instead of backing up, you're aggressive. He's got no play other than the shot. And he shoots and eh, a great shot. No, You know, it's Elias Patterson. But still, that's one you probably should have had. Thatcher Demko on the goal that's off the side of the net. And that's the thing is you don't expect Thatcher Demko to let in goals like that. And he just missed the rebound off the side of the net. And then Lekkonen was there to put it in. Well, well, timely saves, you know, I think about yeah, this. And this, that's it, timely saves. Yeah, the, the, the run that this, this Canucks team is on, like I think about especially uh, the, the Calgary win and the Rangers win. You know, both of those games in the first period when the game is still 0-0, Demko's making, like, ginormous saves yeah. to keep it that yeah. way. And, you know, it ends up being kind of Canucks blowouts in both in both occasions. But, you know, if not for Demko in the first period, what are those games? Well, Thatcher in the uh, Toronto game. Yeah. I mean, he was pretty ordinary through two periods. But then in the third period, when the Canucks got the lead and they really had to have a save, he was absolutely great. And that's to me, is the maturation of Thatcher Demko this year when he's become the undisputed number one, that he knows that, okay, now I have to make the save. And uh, he usually does. Uh, yeah, so I want to run by my analogy on uh, the the Leaf game on Saturday because I know you're a baseball guy, Cheech. I, yes. you, you and Shorty do baseball promos better than any other hockey play-by-play <laughs> team around. Um, but – Thatcher on Saturday against the Leafs, he was he was the ninth inning closer. You know, he was he was he, he came in for the save after the team handed him the ball in the ninth inning with a one with a one one run lead. Yeah, Martinez. We'll yeah. bring Martinez in for the ninth <laughs> inning. Here he comes. But other games, yeah, he's luck. just he's been everything for the Canucks. Yeah, yeah. Well, and like you say, even the Arizona game that ended up what five one or yeah. something. That first period, they got outshot fifteen to four. Mm-hmm. And he was he was amazing. And uh, then once the Canucks scored, you could see the Coyotes. They go, okay, well here it goes again. And and the Canucks just kept going. But uh, had Thatcher not been as good in the first period, then that game could have been in trouble. And I, and I think that uh, that's been the story of the year. Is uh, Thatcher obviously is how the Canucks have gone as well as he's played and J.T. Miller. And they kind of the two of them make sure that the Canucks are still in it. Miller had uh, four points last night. He was incredible again. Um, his numbers uh, tell the story. He's uh, since Boudreau took over, he's the sixth highest scorer in the league, 44 points in that time. Um, but I, I took a little bit of heat because uh, I, I said on Twitter that Pedersen was the best Canuck on the night. Uh, he played the most, it felt like he, he played the entire five minutes uh, at the end of the game. Uh, he, he barely left the ice. 
Um, I, I, it just felt like Pedersen. I don't know. What you, like I, I haven't seen that that Elias Pedersen at any other point this year. He was relentless on the forecheck, even on the penalty kill. The way he was pressuring the puck, covering so much ground. I just I, I was wondering where this Pedersen was for the rest of the year. Well, and I, I think his confidence is is back to where it was in his rookie year, and his health, his wrist is better. Uh, I I think that he he's at the point. But last night I I thought JT was the best player. Yeah, and then Elias for the second half of the game. I didn't think he was as good in the first half of the game. But then in the second half of the game, and with the added responsibility of killing penalties, he's so smart, and yeah. he reads the plays so well. And you watch him, how he uses his stick and, and just picks off passes and anticipates which way to hold the stick and which side of the body the puck is going to go. And uh, it's amazing to me because he's obviously not that big a physical guy, and he's not going to lean on guys and uh, pin them against the boards but he just anticipates so well and picks off so many passes. And uh, to me, that's why he's so effective on the penalty kill. So right now the Canucks need uh, 30 points from their final 24 games to get to 94 points, which I think is kind of the playoff bar because Vegas has to play pretty much 500 to get to 94. And I do feel like um, I can't believe – this is the storyline that's playing out here, Cheech, but feels like the Vegas Golden Knights are the team to catch in this playoff race the Canucks have worked their way into. Yeah. yeah. You're not sold? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Robin Leonard is back in Vegas now yeah. having some ailment looked at. And, uh, but Vegas is a pretty good team, and I don't know. It's 94 would probably be yeah. the mark. But if you keep playing the way they're playing, it's not out of the realm of possibility. And I, I think that's the thing is since Bruce took over and uh, get the players to believe that they've got a chance, which they do, obviously. And if Thatcher can keep playing the way Thatcher is playing and the, and the schedule, even though there's a ton of games, uh, you got seven home games. So mm-hmm. Thatcher can play, even though there's a back to back, you know, why not? I think he's going to play most of the games. Yeah. There you go, Thatcher. Yeah. Is, is there any, I, I know Boudreaux has been asked about it a lot lately, but is, is there any point you worry about the workload for, for Demko? I mean, he looked, we saw how gassed he was after the Toronto game Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was the puck was in their zone for the last 10 minutes. And yes. even though you're not making saves as a goalie, you're going side to side and your concentration is so high and your uh, adrenaline so high and, I think that's why he was so tired. Uh, but I was listening to Bruce talk about how he would force him to take practices off. And I think that's what you have to do. If you're playing every other night, uh, the day in between the games, you just say, okay, we'll see you at the pregame skate. And it just make sure that he doesn't show up for the practice because Thatcher's the kind of guy that once he comes to practice, then, you know, he's going to give it his all. So, you just make sure that he doesn't have to come to practice and just play the games. How much? Uh, how much do you like the uh, wrestling belt giveaway? After I love it, I love it, <laughs> I love it. I, I used to love when the wrestlers would come in with the belt over their shoulders. <laughs> the tag team guys, the uh, Jim Neidhart and Bret Hart, come in with the 
championship belts over their shoulders. And it, it was just, oh, I love that stuff. The Hart Foundation was absolutely yes. legendary. Yes. Uh, Cheech, we appreciate The Anvil. Yes. The Anvil. Night. Yes. <laughs> he was legendary. And, and their managers and stuff. Uh, the Undertaker. Uh, what's his manager? Oh, Paul Bear. Yes. <laughs> he was so creepy. And <laughs> oh, yeah. Well. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> the Honky Tonk Man. Yeah. Oh, man. Jimmy the Mouth of the South Heart. You know, he yeah. was pretty good. Yes. <laughs> oh. Uh, Cheech, you're the best. We'll talk next week. Okay, thanks. We'll talk to you soon. Uh, there is uh, John Garrett. Got me to do a Paul Bearer impression. Unbelievable. Didn't like that. No? (laughs) You didn't like that or Cheech didn't like it? Well, no, I think Cheech liked it. Yeah. It's really creepy. I'm I'm sure it was accurate. Yeah, Paul Bearer was strange. What a character. Man, Josh, I can't believe... Well, I mean, I know you're super young, so even like... I haven't watched wrestling basically since... I became a teenager. So. I, I will say I tried to get into it when I was like 10-ish years old. Yeah. And I, I probably watched a few weeks of it. And I remember like Rey Mysterio was a guy I liked. Uh, and I think Undertaker was still doing stuff at that. Those are the only two I remember, though. The Undertaker? The Undertaker. You don't know The Rock? Or do you just know well, him no, as no, a, no. As like a I just never. Movie star. Well, yeah. I never saw The Rock on WWE. I just saw I just know that he was there same with John Cena. Yeah. But I never watched them. John Cena movies are bad. <laughs> I mean so I, I guess don't know so are the like the, the rock, rock ones aren't good. Yeah. But when the rock and Kevin Hart get together. <laughs> <laughs> like the rock and Fast and Furious movies not great. No. Um he had his own spin-off which was also not good. Yeah. I never watched it. I just assumed. Oh, did he? Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, Hobbs and Shaw. Oh, weird. Yeah, that's that's very strange. There's too many rock movies. Also, the fact that he's like the highest paid actor in the world now, very strange. Like, why The Rock of all people? He's just so uh, so likable, I guess. He's he's non. Yeah, doesn't have any issues. Um, he's a lead, I guess, in a in the in the action films. He was great in Be Cool. And um, what's the other one I'm thinking of? The Tooth Fairy. Pain and Gain. Oh, yeah. No, same thing. Yeah. (laughs) The Tooth Fairy. Man, there's some bad movies out there. I saw a uh, list today that had uh, The Dark Knight as the best Batman movie. I agree. But it's like, well, what other Batman movie are you putting there? You know, some people would say the new one is up there. The Val Kilmer Batmans. Like, really? Why are we even ranking these? It's really between the one that just came out and the Dark Knight. (laughs) And and that's about it. And then the the whole trilogy, the Dark Knight trilogy. Yeah. Is uh, they're probably all top five to me. I think it was an Esquire. I haven't watched the new one yet. Um, But. Don't spoil it. I mean, I'm sure Batman, you know, foils the villain in the end. But uh, I don't know. <laughs> would be a great turn of events if he didn't. Um, Lego Batman was number two on their list. Okay. So I watched this. Because I have like five younger siblings. 
<laughs> and I've probably watched Lego Batman at least three or four times. Yes. It's very underrated. It's probably in my top five. I don't know if I'd go top two, but does, top five. Does Lego Batman have the weird Batman voice? Yes. Yes? Yes. But it's still it's still good. I think it's Will Arnett is Batman. Is he? Yeah. Oh, I love Will Arnett. Yeah. He's good. It's he, would, he would be able to do a great Batman voice, too. Yeah. No, it's definitely, like, not amazing, but they keep it lighthearted, and they it, there's a lot of uh, self-deprecating humor in it, so it's good. Uh, a bunch of Hulk Hogan texts coming in. Um, the Nanny was a great movie. Not actually. It was actually terrible. <laughs> like, no wrestler end up, ends up making great movies. Uh... Dave Bautista? Oh, for what? Like the Guardians of the Galaxy? I mean, they're they're good movies. Yeah, I wouldn't say they're they're not like he's not a great actor in them, but they're good movies. You know what I love about The Dark Knight, though? It's a superhero movie, but they were able to like make it a feature film without having it feel like a superhero movie. Yeah, I think that's the key, especially lately, because people are getting worn out. <laughs> I'm I'm a big Marvel fan. I'm getting worn out. You got to yes. make it so it's change the genre of the superhero movie. Make it like a a comedy or a thriller, or not a comedy. They're all comedies. Like some of them are verging into thriller territory where they have horror elements, stuff like that. Keep it fresh. Mm-hmm. It's good. But yeah, The Dark Knight did that in 2008. It was just like a it was a good movie that had superhero elements to it. Um, it. It's it's so hard to do that. Christopher Nolan is probably the top director out there right now. Again, Inception, great movie. Very rewatchable. I watched 10 minutes of it and then failed. Really? I haven't watched it all yet. I've been meaning to. you never to. watched it all. I've watched the, the first 10 minutes, I think. Oh my. I think I was watching it with my girlfriend, and she was just not into it. So I had to bail. <laughs> Andre the Giant and the Princess Bride is a great movie with him in it. No one else could have played that character. That's Nick from Richmond. It's true. <laughs> Princess Bride has Andre the Giant. Everybody is texting in about Andre the Giant and Princess Bride right now. It probably... I probably goes to show that there's very few movies with wrestlers in them that are good. <laughs> very, very few. Uh, that is producer Josh Elliott Wolf. Uh, when we come back, uh, we'll hear from uh, Shayna Goldman of The Athletic as we close out Canuck Central on Sportsnet 650.